Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Very happy to be joined today by Judd Brackett. Uh, man, one, uh, I don't know if I've ever written, Judd, more about a potential uh, uh, scout coming to a team than you, but you uh, you had a very public uh, you know, departure from Vancouver and then a very public arrival in Minnesota, and it seems like you were extremely, extremely respected uh, from your former stopping ground. Well, it's very humbling to hear. Uh, it is, uh, it's you know, it's a very challenging job. Uh, scouting is is full of uh, nuances and and challenges, and certainly failure. So, to to have, have gotten it right a couple times and and to be respected <laughs> is is great. But uh, you know, this is a new chapter, and excited to start it, and and looking forward to uh, to next week and and, and pick nine. Yep, the Wilds uh, draft next Tuesday and Wednesday, October sixth and seventh. They Wild have six draft picks uh, for Judd's first draft, running the virtual table from the War Room here in Minnesota. Uh, he's coming to us from his home in Massachusetts right now. And uh, you know, Judd uh, again, first round pick, a second round pick, no third, then a fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. With which uh, you know, for a Wild draft, that's a ton of draft picks. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paul Fenton resisted trading draft picks the last couple of years, which is why the uh, the cupboard has been filled a bit, um, you know, very well, actually, the last couple of years. But that was one of the things when the Wild uh, were trying to win and win and win. Uh, Chuck Fletcher used a lot of draft picks as currency. And so for you to have, uh, you know, pretty much a full cupboard of draft picks this time, you've got to be excited about it. It's it's really exciting. And, and listen, there's always a cycle to, to teams and when the windows open and, you know, draft picks become part of that currency to and formula for winning. So I um, really appreciate the scouting staff. I speak as a whole, having six picks is really exciting. And, you know, when things change too, we have to be prepared if, if, if something happens on, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday and we arm ourselves with a third round pick, we have to be prepared. So that's always part of the process. You can't assume, you know, you're going to have a big gap between the second and fourth round picks. We have to be prepared. We have to talk about the players and, and have them in the right spot. So if an opportunity presents itself, either move up or if we acquire a pick, we'll, we'll be prepared. Uh, we're talking with Judd Brackett, the Wild's new director of amateur scouting, was in the Canucks uh, organization for 15 years, right, Judd? Uh, just short of, yes, but uh, 13, 13 years. Yeah, yeah, so 13 years in in, uh, in Vancouver, the last five is their director of amateur scouting. Uh, Judd humbly at the beginning said that he got a few picks right. Uh, I think the Wild uh, would love to have uh, potentially – uh, three Calder Trophy finalists like you had <laughs> pretty much in a row with Pedersen, uh, Quinn Hughes, and Brock Besser. Um, you you obviously hit on a lot of picks, but but you know not just the top of the draft. Uh, you know what what I know that Bill Guerin was really intrigued about you is how successful you and your staff in Vancouver were at at getting guys in the mid rounds as well. And it's you know and it's it speaks to. You know, having, you know, a group that uh, open openly and honestly talks about players, we can trust one another and and, you know, are able to identify, you know, either certain qualities in a player um, that gives them a chance, you know, uh, you know, outside of that first round and second round, um, you know, we need really strong regional work and we need good communication and good process. And through that, we're going to be able to, you know, mine some late round talent. And, and, you know, and ultimately that's how, you know, that's how we can win a draft and be, you know, supremely successful. The uh, that is that is one area where where Paul Fenton and and last year PJ Fenton and, and Darren Yopic had done a really good job, I and mean, it looks like they've they've hit 
um, here at guys like Adam Beckman, Alex Hovenoff. Do you, do you feel like uh, when you look at the Wilds cupboard that it's a lot more stock than maybe if you had come here a couple years ago? Yes, I, I think they did a great job. I mean, I think Adam Beckman, you know, the year he had, I, you know, that's first round value in the in the third round. So that's that's you know tremendous work by by the staff and identifying it and and identifying the skill set and you know someone that maybe was in their early infancy and a rookie in the WHL and had had a long runway of uh, growth coming ahead of them. So that's really exciting and you know and the staff is you know still very much in place and and a lot of the people that were involved in in those discussions are still here. So you know it's it's up to me at this point to build that rapport and and trust and and get to know the scouts and that's what we've done here very quickly from you know the middle of July till now uh you know and you know the the irony is that you know we didn't have a lot of time we knew we had a deadline looming in October so it was get to know each other quickly and then let's get right into it so it's been a unique situation it's been full of challenges but I, I I'm, I'm I couldn't be happier here I'm, I'm I really enjoy working with the, the new scouting staff and you know and I'm learning too right there's new there's new rating system there's new criteria so you know it's as important for me to get on board here as it is for us to be succinct in, in how we think about players and and creating a strategy uh, Bill Guerin was actually on straight from the source uh, last week, uh, Judd. And, and the one thing he did say was that you've come in and you've reorganized the list was, I believe, the quote that he used. And you talked a little bit about that yesterday on your Zoom with our uh, with all of the Minnesota media is that, you know, it's not just reorganizing the list. It's trying to find out from your from your new scouting staff. What are the things that they value in a player, maybe compared to the things that you look for in a player? How much is that? Um, how much was that a big thing that you've had to do here, uh, Cram? the last couple months and and how much work did you do on their list it is it's an important part of of getting acclimated but you know the other end of uh, uh you know where that begins is with management and having clear direction uh great communication you know the leadership here is outstanding so we get our you know we get our marching orders so to speak and and you know and that's what's also helped shine the light on on the list and and player evaluation so it starts at the top and and trickles down with you know with with good leadership and you know then we take that into our department of amateur scouting and and you know we can talk about players that you know maybe have some of the hallmarks that we're looking for in, in future Minnesota Wild players. Uh, you're listening to Straight from the Source. By the way, if you want to subscribe to the Athletic, now is the time. Theathletic.com/slash/straight from the source. One dollar a month will get you in uh, to the Athletic right now. Uh, Judd, you're you're a fascinating guy. I mean, you started sort of in my business. I mean, you you were a writer for McKean's back in the day. Um, how the heck did you wind up uh, on the other side of the table? I, I mean, obviously, you know, it starts with a great love for the game, um, you know, and, and even when I, you know, when I finished playing in college, I, I considered getting into coaching, um, but I really just, I really enjoyed player evaluation um, and team building. Uh, so it, it sort of grew organically. It started with, with McKean's and getting into rinks and, and, you know, trying to absorb as much information and make as many, you know, contacts and inroads as you can. And, and that transformed, you know, into working in the Quebec Major Junior League and the USHL, which I think has been, you know, an invaluable uh, progression for me. It's, you know, you've seen the, you know, from minor midget into junior hockey, and then you've seen some of these players succeed at the NCAA level and, and you know, in the CHL and, and go on to have professional careers. So, you you know, for me, I think starting sort of at the grassroots level has has given me a big picture approach. And, and you know, there's 
certainly different rates that all these, you know, 17, 18 year olds are developing. And, and the more you get to see it and watch it, you know, the more you have an appreciation for, for, for the actual the entire process. I have a ton of questions for you, Judd, from uh, from uh, listeners, uh, both from Vancouver, as you can imagine, and Minnesota. Um, by the way, when did you work for McKean's? I, I, I actually don't know the years, but I would it, would, it has to be 17 years ago. Okay, so because I used to get the magazine before every single draft, basically to use as a resource for writing. So, so I probably read a lot of your stuff back in, back in the day because McKean's was just tremendous at uh, at their draft coverage and, and getting ready and, and preparing. Um, we're talking to Judd Brackett. The other thing, Judd, that I, I just find awesome is that you own a couple restaurants in Cape Cod. Uh, uh, one is called Amber Cole Fire Pizza and Wings. The other one is called The Port, which is a high-end seafood and steakhouse, which is where I would be. Uh, but uh, tell everybody how you got into that. It started with your folks, right? Yes, uh, you know, family business. So my brother and I, uh, you know, opened two restaurants on the Cape, but you know, came through it through family. My mom and dad had a restaurant, and actually on the same street in the same town where both of ours are located. So. Uh, from summer hours and having worked at you know, many of the positions, it was a natural fit. And, you know, it was funny. My brother's older than I am. But, you know, when he was in college and I was just starting college, we'd always, you know, whenever we got on the phone, we'd be like, what do we think? Is there a spot on the Cape? Or can we do a rest? It just was in our blood, um, you know, and, and you know, we were fortunate enough to uh, find a great location and have early success with one and, and build on that. Uh, and it's a it's a great field down there. It's a small town. Um, you know, so to be, to have been born, raised, gone to school there, and then be able to go back and, and open businesses is, you know, is really rewarding. The, uh, and I think your parents' place was called Brax Landing, right? That's correct. Yeah. I, I, what I loved about that story that I wrote on you in August is that you said, and it just reminded me of something like that, that I would do is that you have on like uh, certain nights of the week is that the parents will come in, they'll pick up pizzas, drop them off for their kids. And then, and then they'll head down to the high end place for, for a bunch of wine and steaks. That's pretty much uh, you got a bunch of regulars that do that. It's so funny. Yeah. We have a couple of families that you see them early on Friday, you know, five o'clock and three or four pies and some wings and, you know that those are going home for the kids and the babysitter. And then we see them a couple hours later for their reservation at the port. Uh, so it's, uh, and that's, you know, that's the community we're in. It's, you know, it's tight knit. Uh, a lot of people know each other. So um, it's, it's just funny to see, you know, sort of the, the, you know, how the, how both restaurants serve diff- different purposes. The, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing too, is that the, the, the pandemic, I know it turned all of our lives upside down, but it, man, it really had to affect you. I mean, not only as a full-time scout, uh, you can't get into rinks anymore, but then you go home, you want to run your restaurants in Mass- Massachusetts, if I remember, was one of the strictest places in terms of shutting down. So, uh, your life has probably been turned upside down, uh, co-owning two restaurants with your brother. It has this, this has been a challenging uh, year, but, you know, with challenges, you know, and adversity come, you know, you know, some chances to get together and be progressive and think about, uh, you know, how to make things work. And, you know, we certainly operated within the guidance of the state, but, you know, we, we, we put up tents in the parking lot and, you know, we're early to ordering picnic tables and, you know, it's, it's not uh, our normal look, uh, but, you know, we, we, we did everything we could knowing that people wanted to dine there and, and our, our, you know, employees wanted to come back and work. We actually still open the port is seasonal and we actually opened it in the spring, even while we were still under the restrictions of just uh, takeout food um, because, 
you know, we have a great love for our staff and we knew they wanted to work and they were there and, and, you know, we had meetings and talked about sort of the risks and rewards of, of opening. And, and we felt it was best for the community and for, you know, for our staff to, to open and, and even with the restrictions and limitations and, and we were rewarded for it. Jed, uh, you know, let's get down to uh, the nitty gritty of the draft and a lot of these Twitter questions. Um, you know, the one thing that was interesting when I talked to you in August is that you said that you were, you know, looking forward to kind of covertly getting back to your job and just, you know, uh, that scouts, you know, they're almost meant not to be seen. They sneak into ranks. They don't talk about what they're doing um, and that it was pretty uncomfortable for you the last couple, you know, month or two in Vancouver and then coming to Minnesota. How difficult was that? And, and can you talk a little bit about what happened in Vancouver? that made you suddenly a glorified free agent where you were only unemployed for about a week? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the job of a scout is, you know, is to go in really and, and make an evaluation on a player. And, and our information is, you know, really based on, you know, meant for internal use. So it, it, was, it was strange to have things play out publicly. Um, it's not really anywhere I want to go or, or talk about. That chapter is closed. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be where I am, um, you know, and I, I think there's a, a bright future here. And um, so, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, per se really want to get into, you know, what the breakdowns may have been. But, uh, you know, as scouts, we, we generally operate sort of, as I mentioned, you know, we, we under the cover, you know, like we, we're in the last row and with our notes and, you know, it's a very tight knit community and it's, it's more about, uh, you know, gathering intel, sharing it internally and, and, and sort of keeping that way up until, up until draft day. That's the beauty of it there. You know, it's not, uh, a choreographed dance. There's a lot of elements of surprise, uh, you know, and we'll see it again on Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm sure next week. And that's fair. Um, how how quickly did Bill Guerin call you, and, and what intrigued you about Minnesota, Judd? Because I've got to think that you've had you know that you um, had multiple opportunities, and even if you stayed more patient, would have had other opportunities in the future. It it just seemed like a really great fit, um, you know, from a personality standpoint. Um, you know, I, Bill's got tremendous energy, a uh, great person. I mean, you feel it even, you know, just, you know, in a situation like this, you know, we were re- reserved to, you know, a phone call and, you know, this wasn't an in, in-person meeting. It was, just wasn't available with, with the travel restrictions at the time. So, you know, it, 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 it wasn't hard to feel the energy um, and the synergy in, in Minnesota. There's a desire for, you know, for drafting and developing um, so at the end of the day, I mean, for me, my, you know, sort of prerequisites were, you know, an opportunity to continue to do a job that I love. This is where I want to be in amateur scouting and then, you know, to work with good people and have good process. What was it like, uh, watching Vancouver, Minnesota in, in the, uh, qualifying round, especially when you see guys like, you know, Pedersen, Besser, uh, you know, Godet, uh, Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes absolutely dominated the series. When you see guys that you were such a, you know, an influence in drafting, uh, you know, just play as well as they did. Well, the, the, the fun, obviously I, listen, I have great friends that I worked with in, in Vancouver, so you can only imagine the text that we're going back and the chirping and some fun that way. So that, that, that brought an element uh, to the series, which was fun. And there's no question which side I was on rooting for Minnesota. I'm a member of the wild and, you know, wanted us to push and get into that playoff. But, you know, as you mentioned, you know, watching, you know, players like Patterson and Hughes and the successes that they're, that they're having and sort of the immediate successes for, from a scouting standpoint, um, you know, it, it just puts a stamp on knowing that the process works. 
um, you know, knowing that we can do that again and we're going to do that again here in Minnesota. Uh, Jed, as I mentioned, I have a ton of Twitter questions, but let me just ask you quickly about uh, about the the top of the draft here. Uh, Wild again are picking as of now uh, number nine on Tuesday night. Uh, it will be on NBC Sports Network if you're here in the states. Um, as you know, because we've asked you about fifty times, uh, the Wild need a center, um, but. When you look at all the mock drafts, you see guys like Stutzel and Byfield going at the tippy top, you know, in two and three probably. Um, Perfetti, Rossi, Lundell, Jarvis. There's a there's a ton of centers in the first round, but it seems like between seven and eight and fourteen and fifteen, there's it, it, it doesn't seem to shape up that way. Do you think if you stayed put at number nine that you'd be able to get one of those top centers, or would you have to consider moving up? I, th- I think there's a real possibility that we we might ha- you know find that intersection of uh, you know best available in need and it could it could line up with a center at nine um, you know but as I mentioned earlier it, it just there's just you know every team's got their own list their own priorities so we you know we can do mocks internally and we can discuss it and and we can sort of project based on dra- draft history and and maybe needs of other teams and 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 try and with our best uh, evaluation come up with what the scenarios are but you know it, it's you know we're in a spot here at nine where a, a little bit of this draft will be dictated by others and, and brought to us if you were to move up or down do you think being in a war room setting where you're not on a draft floor with uh you know a lot of noise teams watching you the evil eyes of the media and the in the risers watching your every move uh, do you think it'll be easier to actually uh you know have meaningful conversations uh, with Bill Guerin, Chris O'Hearn, Tommy Curvers, and, and the scouts, uh, a lot of the scouts that are be on Zoom. I do. I, th- I, you know, it is one of the, you know, the positives of, of, the, of the virtual draft is the war room setting. Um, you know, as you mentioned, it can be difficult at times when you're down at the table and, you know, surrounded by other teams and people kind of mingling around to, to have really, you know, meaningful, in-depth conversations. So this should allow for a bit more of a, of a working environment. And yes, and, and as a result, uh, you know, maybe some more aggressive uh, approaches, uh, you know, would be, you know, advantageous given the, the scenario. By the way, if you uh, if you could arrange that maybe I could shadow the war room uh, for a behind the scenes story, I, I'd be more than willing to do that on uh, both uh, both Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we're talking to Judd Brackett. Uh, this is uh, straight from the source. Uh, Judd, uh, last question before I hit the uh, Twitter questions. Um, you're a former goalie. I'm sure you have soft spots for goalies. Uh, everybody looks at Askarov as being a potential uh, franchise goalie. Uh, again, the Wild, uh, I know they've got Hunter Jones and Kakinen and Matt Robson, but uh, if that goalie is there, would that be intriguing? He's certainly intriguing, um, you know, and obviously the start of the KHL season hasn't done anything to dispel the the, the interest. Uh, he's gotten off to a tremendous start, uh, KHL, you know, Rookie of the Week, Goalie of the Week. Um, so, I, I, you know, the interest in him and, and the continued success level is, has been there. Um, he's a real, you know, Real intriguing package of size, athleticism, speed, um, which are you know all qualities we're looking for in goaltenders today. So, yep, he's uh, he, he's he's there, and 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 we're definitely aware of him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with Judd Brackett in a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. We started with 22 teams heading down Orlando, and now we're down to the final two. That's right. Basketball's final two teams are set to square off to see who will be crowned basketball's champion. 
And there is no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate basketball's championship, DraftKings will have millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs all week long, so get in on all the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick six players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have a skin in the game than with DraftKings. So, download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Uh, Judd, uh, let's go to the Twitter questions. Uh, Joseph has a great question. Um, is there any crossover with amateur and pro scouting when discussing, discussing potential decisions? Are you consulted for trades like the Johansson deal? And, you know, I mean, you know, similarly, if, if Bill Guerin's interested in potential young prospects, do you, do you, are you usually that type of call? There's, I mean, there's always, you know, the pro, the pro scouts, um, you know, certainly take a lead on, on, on trades and they're watching players in the national hockey league level and as well as the American hockey league level. So that is, you know, that is their department. That's their expertise. Um, but as trades form, you know, maybe there's some inclusion of a pick or a prospect or, you know, even a young guy that is, you know, making the transition that, you know, the amateur staff may have recently been watching. So there's always some symmetry between pro and amateur and, you know, and, and Chris Kelleher and I have gotten to know each other. And, um, you know, so there, you know, but it's, it's more asked than, than required. Um, there's, there's trades that can be made that are, you know, the pro pro guys have all the info and the Intel and, and, and they can, you know, more than, more than adept at, 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 uh, you know, making that work but it, sometimes when prospects get involved or a pick there's there's some input so yeah there's there's symmetry between pro and amateur and we discuss they they're a great resource for us on an amateur staff as they see young players enter the american hockey league it's great feedback for us uh to find out you know are they hitting the mark that we projected you know and going forward we can always learn from 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 the pro staff uh, in our mm-hmm. amateur evaluations uh, Judd uh, Malcolm, who uh, is from Vancouver, asks, uh, "What picks are you most proud of?" You know, it, it is interesting. Like, like I remember, you know, talking to Paul Fenton when he was still in Nashville at the Stanley Cup Final in, in Pittsburgh at Media Day, and you know, you, you when you're a scout, you think you're going to say uh, Ryan Suter, or Shea Weber, you know, people like that. But you know, when you when you talk to somebody like Paul Fenton, you know, he's as equally or more so proud of guys like Patrick Hornquist, who was the last pick in his draft. Um, you know, so for you, I mean, is it Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, or is it somebody else? Uh, I mean, obviously, as, as a group, you know, very proud of of the top end guys that have already reached their mark. But it's it's always nice to see. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, a fifth round pick like Adam Gaudet find his way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's still early, you know, in the maturation process for, for some of the picks in Vancouver, but, you know, you know, there's, there's other, you know, it, we're always really proud of when we find, you know, a later round pick, because we know that that started within the region with the regional scout at the grassroots and that it took on its full bloom, right. That we, that we went through the process. We, we, we had them in the right spot and, and then had the courage to, to step up and take them. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, you're always proud. It's, it's, you know, there's, it's always nice to see a late pick develop, especially when you, you know, when you were a believer and maybe others weren't. So I can see, you know, that, that correlation between, between Paul and Hornquist, like, you know, that took some real, 
gumption in a room and someone really, you know, had, was a believer and then to see it come to fruition, like that, that's something as a group you're always really proud of. I remember the Wild had a last pick in a draft too, Kim Janssen, and he was a heck of a player. And actually, I think Kim Janssen was the year after Hans Janssen was taken in the last pick. So it just shows you that even if you have the last pick in the draft, you can't just throw it away on nobody. Absolutely. Absolutely. All these picks have value and, you know, and, and it's important as an organization too, that, you know, after being selected that a, a seventh round pick gets the same treatment as a first round pick. They have the same resources and player development attention. So, you know, if you can unearth or find one of those late picks, that's uh, you know, a real diamond and a real feather in the cap of the scouting staff. And you know what that does? It just, it gives you that confidence to continue to do it and, and reinforces the process. So your scouts believe and, and, you know, and, and they go out and they hit the ground hard, even harder the next year. There's a great story, Judd, about it. I don't know if it was Phil Esposito in Tampa or if it was Neil Smith in, in New York, but it, they, they had the last pick one year or, or, or one pick in the last round. I think this is back when it was still a nine-round draft, and they saw a kid just freaking out and, and very sad sitting in the crowd in his suit, and it was clear to this GM. I think it was Espo. Ah, it was Espo or Neil Smith, but uh, but uh, you know saw him and it's like just felt terrible that nobody had, tr- had drafted him. So he had one of his uh, people at the table find out what the kid's name was, and they they drafted him. And uh, I mean, it was it was one of those heartwarming stories. But that that you know, come to think of it, I mean, that's gonna be the weirdest part of this draft. I think for a lot of these top players is that. You know, you, you, you grow up playing hockey, just hope that you could sit in that arena at the Bell Center in Montreal this summer and hear your name announced and go up on stage or go to the table and get your jersey. And a lot of these kids are missing out on something very, very special. No question. And, you know, from from my end, I, I really empathize with the kids and the families. This is a special moment, not just for not just for the players, but for mom and dad and for siblings. And, you know, this starts, we all know, youth hockey, the sacrifices that, you know, some of the early mornings and, you know, the divided families, the divide and conquer for multiple games if you have siblings playing. So this is a shared event. This isn't just, you know, just the player and his, and, you know, and getting his due, but getting a chance to walk on stage and, you know, and shake hands with, with you know, with some, you know, former NHL players that are now in, you know, prominent roles with teams. This is a really, it's a really special day. And, you know, it's unfortunate. The one thing, the one message to the, to the players is, you know, it is, it's a benchmark and, you know, and it won't be there, but they're going to get to put a sweater on at some point and it'll probably be while they take the ice. So, you know, the moment is going to, they're still going to get their moment and immediately get to join, you know, whether it be a development camp or a rookie camp. So uh, I, you know, there's still a ton of excitement going forward, but I do empathize. It's, you know, it is a shared family event that uh, isn't going to take place this year. A uh, bunch of more Twitter questions, but, it, you know, Judd, I'm doing this uh, feature, this father-son story for The Athletic on Pat Brisson and Brenda Brisson, and, and I was talking to Pat the other day. Pat's, uh, if you don't know listening out there, he's the, maybe the biggest agent in the NHL. He's got a, probably a billion dollars. I think it is a billion dollars of long-term contracts out there. He's got guys like Tavares, Kane, Taves, uh, Crosby, Giroux, McKinnon, some, guys na- some guy named Quinn Hughes, too, by the way. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was telling me that. I mean, he's from Montreal. He played in Montreal. You know, he grew up there, and he was so looking forward to seeing Brendan uh, drafted there. And instead, they're going to be in a hotel in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, as a family watching uh, Brendan get drafted. Um, You know, selfishly for this story, uh, uh, Judd, can I ask you about Brendan and and just what type of player you think he's going to be? He had just an unbelievable uh, season a couple years ago at Shattuck St. Mary's and then last year with the USHL Steel in Chicago. 
Yes, he has. He's he's had. Uh, you know, he took his successes at Shattuck with, you know, as we know, a you know a, a renowned hockey factory that continues to produce players. And but he brought that uh, you know the development from Shattuck straight into the USHL with immediate success. And it, it doesn't take you long watching Brennan to see you know how high his hockey IQ is, his ability to read the play, vision. He slows it down, can gets everybody involved. He's a great distributor. Um, but uh, dual threat offensively. I mean, he was he was great start to finish. You know, even went to the World Junior A Challenge there at Christmas time, and then continued his 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 dominance. Um, and you know, he's he's earned it. And and you know, like you mentioned, unfortunately, won't get to strut across that stage. Uh, but uh, you know, being with family in in Ann Arbor, I still think though they're they're going to have a lot of fun. And if you don't know, if you're listening out there, basically the NHL draft, October 6th and 7th, is going to take place uh, in Secaucus, New Jersey, uh, at NHL Network Studios. Uh, that's where Gary Bettman will announce trades and picks. Uh, but they'll take 31 teams from 31 war rooms. They'll have 100, uh, essentially, Zoom links uh, with the top prospects uh, for days one and two. And that'll be how this year's draft will look, uh, a lot like NFL draft uh, earlier this year. Um, Erica asks, great question, in what ways has scouting changed since COVID? Great question. We've... Uh... You know, obviously, middle of March, our seasons were cut short, so there was no in, in-person viewings of playoffs and, and, and world championships. There was no combine. Um, so we've had to, you know, had to adjust. We've turned to a lot of virtual links. Um, it was Zoom and WebEx, which is, you know, the forum that we did, conducted a lot of player interviews. Um, and then as a scouting staff, we've had to, you know, continue to watch video um and and sort of adapt you know rely on on some new resources and and that is a positive of this we i think we'll take a lot of this with us going forward we'll continue to use video we'll continue to maybe chat with players uh even amongst the scouting staff instead of just being on the phone i think we'll you know we'll get on a on a on a call where we can see each other and and you know and and connect so you know, again, you know, a challenging situation, but uh, making the best of it and, you know, using using analytics and data and anything that we can get our hands on right now to to fill in any of the gaps, because um, we are, you know, we're an information business and trying to get as much as we can to make the, you know, the most qualified, educated decision we can. And uh, man, uh, you know, to a lot of these scouts can't get in for the actual draft, so they'll be on Zoom, especially the ones from Europe. Uh, so that makes it complicated. But I'm curious, you know, I know none of us, uh, Judd, know what tomorrow brings. But but you know, you're an, you're a director of amateur scouting with a U.S. passport. How will that complicate things uh, next season if you can't get into Canada or Europe? It's it. We, we've discussed it. We you know obviously we're still focused on the 20 draft, but. You know, part of the 21 season has begun. Europe is playing, you know, a lot of hockey right now. And some, some, you know, the Minnesota Elite League has started and some of the split season in the U.S. and the Quebec League. So we're, we're you know, we are divided right now. And there is potential that, you know, we may have to operate in sort of, you know, three succinct regions. You know, Canada might be its own umbrella and the U.S. one and Europe if, if we can't get across borders. So we've talked about it uh you know, the potential of if that's the case and um, it'll be a new format, a new process, but we're going to have to continue, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's going to continue to be fluid. Even when leagues open, there's going to be pauses, there's going to be restrictions and changes. So, you know, we, we have to be innovative. We have to think outside the box and be open-minded about uh, the approach this year. Um, uh, Wild Nation asks, uh, what's your impression on our top guys, Boldy, Addison, Hovenoff, Jones, Beckman? You, you talked about a couple of those already. 
Yes. I mean, guys have been familiar with, uh, you know, Matt Boldy's right here, uh, you know, playing at Boston College, so close close to me. Um, great hockey sense and skill. He had a tremendous second half. He had a tremendous second half at Boston College last year. Um, you know, I, I think he's absolutely you know, trending and developing in the right direction. Um, you know, Callan Addison and came over in the in the trade late. Uh, excellent skater, offensive mind, power play. It snaps the puck around. Exciting player. I think he's a great addition to the prospect pool. Um, you know, Hovanov is over in in Russia now. Um, you know, sort of cutting his teeth into into a new lineup, but uh, he did everything that you could have imagined in the Quebec league in terms of, you know, being a leader, you know, controlling tempo of games, you know, production point production. He's a, you know, shows up every night and, you know, we touched on Beckman leading the Western hockey league in scoring. And, you know, he had a proven track record of being a scorer and was in his first year in the WHL. And I think took that big second step that uh, players often do as they get a bit more comfortable in the league. And, you know, like I said, I think that's a way above value pick uh, and is going to pay great dividends. Um, P. Stauff asks, uh, your best diamond in the rough uh, player he's drafted and developed that far beyond expectations and had a profound impact on uh, on the Canucks? Great question. Um, you know, there, it, it still might be yet to be determined. We'll see. But I would, I would guess at this point probably Adam Gaudet. Um, you know, he was someone who uh, had played prep school hockey and, and, and had great production. Uh, at their academy and then went out to the USHL. Um, we, we really liked the way he played the game, the brain, the compete level, uh, the character, the, the drive that he had. And maybe the production didn't follow him in his first year in the USHL, but we were believers and, and felt that it would and, and it has. And, you know, he, he's someone that, you know, as a group in Vancouver, we're really, we're, we were really proud of, um, you know, but yet to be determined there could be some of the, some others that are that are still on their way and just early in the process uh great question from mark you're gonna love this one Judd. Um, this is like your typical minnesota wild question that you're gonna have to get used to um how surprised were you when the wild took eric Sinek over burnsville native brock besser it seems like we needed more of a goal scorer than an agitator i, w- I would consider eric Sinek a lot more than an agitator um you know what's interesting about that? I mean, it, like, were you surprised? Like, it, like, still in hindsight, even though I know Wild fans are still stung by it. I'll, I'll, I mean, I remember Eriksson Ek being rated a little higher than Besser back then, and I think a lot of teams probably would have taken the center over the goal scorer. I guess what, what's your impression? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, it's easier. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think it's easy to make that evaluation now. Uh, Eriksson Ek um, is you know, an established national hockey player and is continuing to develop. And, and, and I think like, like you mentioned, I think there are a lot of teams out there that, that probably had him rated higher. He, he earned it. He was, he, he was a great player in his draft year and prior to, and had successes with the national team. So I, I don't think it is a, a you know, you know, sort of a, a crazy pick or anything. It just happened to, you know, that, you know, the development path after maybe took, two different routes, but that is not to say that in any way that that was, uh, you know, a crazy pick. Um, the dog father belly rubs for pups. My favorite Twitter name, um, asks, uh, how much do you think COVID will hinder the development of an 18 year old kid in the next year or two? It's a good question. I mean, will there be ripple effects? I mean, we're seeing the Quebec, you, you mentioned the other team leagues that have started, but college hockey is delayed. The Quebec league has started, but the OHL and WHL they're saying December, but it's, 
it this is these are two leagues with with um, teams in both nations that it's going to be an issue. I mean, do, do you see that there could be a problem if there's a shortened season or God forbid a canceled season? There's, I mean, there's certainly potential to have to have a ripple effect, um, especially if can't if seasons get canceled. Uh, the one thing I will say though is all these players have great resources and trainers, and and you know I know that they're getting on the ice and working on it. I know it might not be gameplay, um, but these players are are they're in tune with what they're doing. So whether it's physical gains, getting on and doing some skills and skating, I know that they're, they're continuing to work on their game. So it's not as if they're shut in and, you know, and, and mm-hmm. of their ability to continue to improve their game there, there might be some limitations on gameplay, um, which at times might be good for some of these guys. Right. Um, uh, by the way, Jed mentioned uh, how he's right around the corner from BC. I mean, there's that, that team is stocked with the, uh, with wild players from Warren to uh, Boldy to McBain to Nestorenko coming in as well. Um, again, you're listening to Straight from the Source to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Um, not only do we have articles across the board, and now is the time to get in for that dollar a month because uh, we got incredible draft prov- coverage. I just... Uh, I just uh, published this second while I was talking to Judd uh, my my uh, what I'm hearing about the wild story, um, but we have podcasts all over the place. Not only Judd Brackett, but uh, Pierre LeBron and Scott Burnside this week uh, talked about buyouts and free agency and the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning uh, Dallas Stars Stanley Cup final. That's on two man advantage. And Craig Custance has two episodes of the full sixty this week. Um, in episode one on Thursday, Craig t- welcomes uh, Renee Hest, founder of the Black Girl Hockey Club. And in the second episode on Friday, it's the return of the. Pre- Prospect series with the Athletics. Corey Promen on the full 60 at the Athletic. Uh, Corey is our prospects writer. Um, he wants to be the next Judd Brackett. So uh, that's uh, this week on the Athletic Podcast. Um, Judd, a couple more minutes. I really appreciate the time this morning. I still have a ton of questions. So if you, uh, at some point, if you're spent, just tell me and I'll end the podcast. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm game. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, here's a great question, and I'm sorry because when I copied and pasted this, I'm not going to give you credit for it because I accidentally erased your name. Um, but the Wild have only drafted and developed two 30-goal scorers in their history. That would be Gabrick and Jason Zucker, I believe. Um, what do you look for when trying to project whether scoring ability will translate to the NHL? And he says, oh, and please draft a bunch of those guys. <laughs> uh, great question. Uh, you know, with all these, with all the prospects, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, projecting their success rate at the next level. Um, but on, with a score specific, I think it's important to find out, you know, where they score, you know, where they score from. Are they going to be able to get to that area at the next level? Are they scoring from a range that might be, you know, translate to the junior level, but not at the national hockey league level? So will they play on the inside? You know, do they have a nose for the net? Um, you know, you know, is it, is it all power play driven? So there's some key indicators. So we, we look for stuff like that. We want to see some five on five scoring. We want to see where they're scoring from. Can they get to home plate? Um, you know, and then obviously just the intricacies, you know, as a shooter, you know, the release, the accuracy, are they a volume shooter? You know, you know, are they, are they opportunistic when they get a chance to do that? Do they finish? So it is all things that we, that we, that we look for and, and, you know, there's no perfect science to it, but these are all helpful indicators. What kind of dog do you have? <laughs> That's uh, he's a, he's a Briard. He's a big, uh, it's uh, like a French like sheepdog. He's massive, and uh, if you come to the door, like, it sounds <laughs> like he's pretty scary. But in the end, he'd probably lick you to death. 
<laughs> and you also have three children, uh, ages at least in August. Their ages were 11, 9, and 1. I don't know if any of them had birthdays since. Uh, but I guess that's the blessing uh, of the uh, of the pandemic is that you were home with your kids and a newborn uh, during this entire time. It was. We actually have, we have four. I have an oldest that's 13. Oh. Yeah, okay. so we have, we have 13, 11, 9, and 1. Um, and like all things, the silver lining is, you know, I've been home since March. So with a newborn, this has been, you know, invaluable time and, and a lot of fun. Um, although three in their rooms right now doing homeschooling is, is certainly <laughs> challenging. I've, the, the door swung open here a couple of times with some questions on homework and uh, we, we won't be able to address <laughs> it for a little longer. Uh, man, that's funny. TJ Oshie was on uh, with Catherine Tappan the other day on NBC, and it was hilarious. His, one of his daughters uh, crashed the, uh, the, the, the live shot, and it was just absolutely hysterical. So if, you're, uh, if your kids want to come in, uh, it's be my guest. That's um, great. And I do have to look back at your article. I hope I didn't forget a kid. I could have sworn that I uh, only put three, but hopefully I put four in there. Um, let me ask you, Judd, uh, you, uh, you just talked about scorers. Let me ask you about centers. Same thing. You know, I asked you yesterday on the Zoom that the Wild have drafted so many centers over the years that all of a sudden became wingers in the NHL because they just couldn't function. Mikhail Granlin was a perfect example, couldn't function as a center. John Trochetti moves him to the right wing and he just erupts. Um, right. We've seen that throughout the years. Charlie Coyle, Luke Cunnan, uh, even Matt Boldy drafted as a center, didn't start off at least at BC, playing well at center, was moved to wing, played well, and now the Wild say they project him as a wing. How do you as a scout, when you're looking at all these centers, actually distinguish, all right, can he actually play this very, very tough position in the National Hockey League? It is, it's one of our most common discussions uh, among scouts, you know, because, you know, there's a, a lot of these players are centers on their junior team, um, you know, and it might be, you know, more need-based or the fact that they're the best player on their junior team, but do they have you know, all the, all the details, you know, are they strong in the face-off circle? Are they a, a 200 foot player? You know, do they support low in the defensive zone? And, and also do they have the pace right now? I mean, look at, look at the back pressure in the national hockey league. So, you know, it's, it's not just about, you know, point generation and, and having, you know, that wide vision coming up the ice and getting your wingers involved and, and being creative, but you gotta, be, you gotta, you know, it's a really demanding position and, you know, it's hard to, to develop both sides of the game and, and continue to excel offensively while you take on all the responsibilities of a center. So, you know, there are mm -hmm. a lot of nuances that come in. So us as, as scouts, we talk about it, uh, you know, are they going to be able to hold up physically, you know, for these demands and the ice time and everything that's expected of them. And if they do, are they going to continue to score too? So it is a you know it is one of the most challenging positions and it's the most coveted and I think that's why you see you know the the value on it when you enter a draft uh, with you know with with a center uh, because if they do hit their mark uh, you know you, you've you've got you've got pay dirt. Yeah, makes sense. You can see why Canucks fans love Judd. He's an exceptional quote. Um, Billy Guerin's burner account, so be careful. Um, he asks, um, I'd love to know what role he views analytics playing in drafting versus or in conjunction with the eye test. It's it's 100% in conjunction. Um, you know, as, as scouts, we are looking for as much information as we can get. We go to the rink. I don't think anything... Uh, you know, supplants going and seeing a game live. You know, there, there are so many tells when you're there. But, you, you know, there are smaller nuances. And, you know, if we start discussing a player uh, internally and, you know, we all are seeing one thing in the, in the rink and 
you know, there, there's a trail of analytics saying something different Then we need to pause and we need to go back and, and, you know, either, either support the evidence that's there or refute it. So it absolutely plays a part in, in our, in our measure of a player. And, um, you know, same with, same with their, you know, uh, an interview or coaches comments, you know, we're trying to find the character in, in each player too. Uh, you know, it is, it is projection based. So we need as much information as we can and to, you know, hopefully have, you know, frame the conversation. Analytics is a great way to frame discussion uh, on player for player and even player versus player. Um, Joe Boley asks, uh, there are some players in the draft that have so-called late birthdays and are near the cutoff for the previous year's draft class. Does this perceived extra year of physical development really matter to scouts? It can, it can. um, you know, I, I, I think more, more so than birthdays too, sometimes is, is where the player is physically in their, in their, you know, in their maturation process, uh, both mentally and, you know, and with strength. Um, so late birthday doesn't always, you know, mean that they're further along, to, you know, with their development. Um, you know, Pedersen's a good example of that. He was a late birthday, but still, you know, 160 pounds. So I think it does depend, you know, some guys are, you know, are, 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 it is advantageous and gives them a little bit of a, an edge being older. But um, we take it, you know, we have some sort of measures inside and how we talk about them internally with birthdays. And, and you know, this year in particular, there's a lot of a, a lot of plus one, uh, you know, birthdays that are that are late and, and make up a lot of the first round, actually. Um, you, ha, did you hear the Alex Ovechkin story in 2003? Yeah, so he, like, the birth the birthday to be eligible for a draft is what, like, September 14th or 15th? 15th, yes. 15th, okay. So, so I'm covering the Florida Panthers. It's 2003. We're in the draft. You know, inc- probably the best draft that I've ever covered. I'm sure that you <laughs> you would agree with that. The draft was absolutely unbelievable. Well, in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds of that draft, or maybe actually later because that was a nine-round draft, we're in Nashville. The Panthers tried to take Alex Ovechkin. Yeah. And finally, um, the league essentially cut off their mic late in the draft and admonished them and said they were going to take away their draft pick. And Rick Dudley got so embarrassed. He was the GM of the Panthers at the time. He stormed out of the arena. And so it took a lot of work from behind the scenes to try to figure out what was going on from a beat writer's perspective. So I start making calls, and what it turns out is Alex Ovechkin's birthday, I believe, is September 17th. So he was two days from being eligible for the 03 draft, but obviously, as everybody knows, went number one overall in the 2004 draft. Well, the wild the Panthers owner at the time was Alan Cohen. He owned a giant generic drug company, and he won a, a, essentially a, a court case once using leap years that made him eligible to get this generic drug. And so the Panthers, he convinced Rick Dudley to try to trade for Ovechkin, try to draft Ovechkin, claiming that with leap years, he should have been eligible for the 2003 draft. And obviously the league wasn't having it, and Rick was embarrassed and, and just stepped out. So the Panthers tried to draft um, draft, draft uh, him in those rounds. And I'm trying to remember, actually, I think the Van- they wound up drafting a guy that, that wound up playing for the Vancouver Canucks for a long time. I'm trying to remember who that would have been. I'm trying to think. That's, Do you remember? that's an amazing story, though. I, I, I trust me. I love the angle, um, <laughs> but I, we're also, you know, there's a there's a pre-approval process for for all the players, so yeah. you know who's eligible. So, but I do. I 
I, I appreciate the angle. Like there's, you can get, you get any kind of edge you can, you take it, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, I have got to, as, as I ask you questions, I'm going to try to figure out who the Panthers wound up taking that wound up, uh, wound up on the Canucks for a long, long time. But he essentially, uh, oh, it was Tanner Glass. Oh, uh, yeah. So the Panthers, Panthers wound up taking Tanner Glass with their last pick at 265. And with that pick, they tried to draft Ovechkin instead. They had to settle for, uh, for Tanner Glass. It's pretty funny. I hope Tanner. Knows, uh, I hope Tanner knows that story. Yeah, I know it could have been Tanner Glass or Alex Ovechkin. Um, here's a quote. Here's definitely a question from Vancouver. Uh, what does uh, Judd uh, like most about Jet Wu's game, and how will it translate to the NHL? Uh, Jet, uh, you know, the hallmark of Jet's game is certainly his compete level. Um, you know, in his physical play, he's uh, you know, he's he's he loves to step up in the neutral zone and engage and. He's just a competitor, uh, two-way game, someone that you can rely on on the back end. Okay. Uh, Ty Party asks, um, uh, do you want to get into Pedersen trade uh, pick details? I mean, there was, uh, you know, the one thing it's it, that's been well-reported is there was debate, right? Well, there's, there's all, and there's always debate, you know. It was a, mm-hmm. a high pick in the draft and, you know, and, and an important dra- uh, pick and, you know, in a, in a team that, you know, is, is looking to rebuild through the draft. So it's going to be a much debated discussion and a decision and and you know whether there was heat behind it there's heat behind any any kind of you know debate at, at pick five so there's there's going to be heat behind pick nine too so and that's 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 welcome that's part of that's part of the process mm-hmm. um you know we, we encourage scouts to speak their mind and and to come into the room and and bring their supporting evidence and and stand up for themselves and that's part of the process that's that's not unusual Here's a funny question in a few more minutes with uh, Judd. We won't keep them all day. Um, Tony Schmidt, uh, this is a really good question. Is there a draft pick value chart, like what exists in the NFL? And if so, could you share it with the public to help rein in some of the crazy trade proposals? There, there, there is. There, there are a couple formulas. Um, you know, team, different teams subscribe but, you know, to different ones. But, yes, there is a value chart, uh, you know, sort of for, for pick um you know pick for pick trades and and uh, you know there's a numeric value on it not necessarily everyone's subscribing to the same so it's not a universal but internally we we, we gauge picks by by value so if we're you know if it's trade up trade down we have a sense of you know we're in the ballpark here and this this is you know how we can frame it and and mm-hmm. present that to another team so yes there is there is um but it's not necessarily universally accepted a uh, funny question from James Seidel, is he hiring? Um, but to ask that uh, more, more seriously, uh, you know, if you had to say to, uh, you know, young hockey people that are trying to break into the business of scouting, uh, what do you do? Because uh, there's only so many jobs and it's not an easy profession to get into. It is. It's very challenging to get into. But the one thing, you know, that I would the advice that I have given and would continue to give and, and certainly because it, it tracks well with with my, you know, sort of my evolution is is getting involved in in junior hockey, uh, working with a team, working with a, you know, working with a general manager, working with a coach, with a coaching staff, and getting into that team building and and you know, it, it can take many forms, but that's a great way to start. Plus, you'll also see the early development of players, and you know, it takes a little while. It takes a while to see the cycle of drafting and 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 development and then success. So. You know, it's hard to just break right in and, and have a real feel for, um, you know, the, the, 
you know, the full evolution of a player in his development. And if he's going to achieve success, you know, these guys are all, you know, at 17, they're at different rates. They're at different points in there. They're playing in different leagues. Um, so I, I think it's great to jump in at a, at an, at a mm-hmm. level and, and, and cut your teeth that way and, and get familiar with players as they're young and trending up. Uh, Jack Olson asked the same question. Uh, here's a, here's a good last question, uh, from Russo's filter. Believe it or not, uh, Judd, I have like 15 parody accounts, um, which I, I try to say is a humbling thing, but it, sometimes it gets a little embarrassing. But he uh, says, uh, apparently Russo's filter went to uh, Connecticut college. So he goes, it's always good to have another camel in the wild family or what is your favorite memories at Connecticut college? <laughs> great, great question. And another camel, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I tra- I transferred, you know, to Connecticut College, uh, and you know, one of my one of my favorite memories is, you know, as a sophomore, uh, we, you know, we actually got to the Final Four and hosted it at, uh, at Connecticut College, and it was the you know sort of the outpouring and support, uh, uh, you know, and playing in front of your peers and your friends, um, you know, just something I'll, I'll, I'll always take me. Unfortunately, lost in overtime, two to one uh, in the final. But uh, it, it's a great memory from from Connecticut, and one I'll take with me. Uh, you know, when I go to rinks, I get that same, you know, excitement when I get into a playoff game and watching it. Just that, you know, once in a while, I'll have a memory of of or playing in a rink that's similar to Connecticut College, and and you get uh, you know you get that little chill from from your playing days. Mm-hmm. I mentioned all my parody accounts, uh, Judd. Uh, you were actually one of the first front office employees in the league that had a public Twitter account, right? Back like 10 years ago. Is that true? If that's true, that's, uh, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't aware, but, uh, maybe, maybe it's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. such a good resource. I'm not really a big, you know, I don't, I don't write much or put much out there, but for me it is, there's so much information. It's, you know, it's, right. it's my daily newspaper, you know, it's, you know, it's a chance for me to, connects across the world and you know see what's going on in Sweden and Finland and, and Russia as right. well as at home. So it, it's it's a valuable tool. Yep. Judd, uh, let's end with this. I, I got to tell you, um, I got three final things here. Uh, one from Young Judd One, um, who I think is a huge fan of yours. He says, I, I have no question, but I just want to thank Judd for everything he did for the Canucks organization. Raymond, same thing. Would you ever consider coming back to the Canucks, Brian? Uh, just Canucks fans miss you. I mean, it has to, it has to be humbling. You were, it seems, extremely respected there, um, just for how forthcoming you were, but also just obviously the draft picks that you helped uh, get over the last thirteen years. Well, and and you know, there's there's parallels to the to the Minnesota market, right? I mean, this, there's a true mm-hmm. love for the game, and it's a great fan base, and they want to win, and you know, and as as employees. Is we feel that too. I know the players certainly do, but we do as well. Um, you know, and we and we want to win, and we want to we you know just like coming to Minnesota. I mean, we want to we want to win here. We want to we want to do it as a family, and uh, you know, and really you know, and celebrate that with with the fan base as well. Well, uh, Judd, I really appreciate the time uh, this morning. And again, Judd's first draft, uh, running the virtual draft, it'll be his oddest draft of his career, uh, will come on uh, Tuesday, October 6th, the first round at night. Uh, rounds two to seven is on day two. That is October 7th. And again, the Wild have six picks in the draft as of now, uh, currently pick number ninth, and then they have a second round pick, a fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Um, hey, Judd, really, really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's just, you know, really nice of you to give uh, so much time to wild fans and to talk so, uh, openly about this upcoming, uh, draft and your, and hopefully a long tenure here in Minnesota. 
Thank you. This is great coming on. It's a, an exciting week. Uh, this is what, you know, all the travel, all the hotels, the rent cars, <laughs> like, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, this is, this is, you know, this is a special week for us as scouts. And as an organization, we get to add, you know, six players into the mix and, and then hopefully continue to develop and, and see future wild players that, uh, they can have success on the ice for us. That's awesome. And, uh, check out our comment section for each episode of the podcast at the athletic app and rate and subscribe to straight from the source on Apple. If you aren't a subscriber to the athletic subscribe now and save, go to the athletic.com slash straight from the source and you can receive an all access subscription for just a dollar a month. That's less way less than a uh, Starbucks during national coffee week uh, here. And uh, now's the time to get into the athletic because there's going to be a ton of news here in the next little bit. Thanks Judd. Thank you. Thank you.